What we've got here is... A complete mess, to be quite frank. You have my sympathies. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. And they complained about time too, about not playing the NDE. It was free for all, and I heard him say, he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick, cause you're incapable AMs. Thank you, Mr. T.J. Drennan. Welcome to episode 103 of Keep Off the Borderlands. My name's Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall, PDF holder, RPG player, and aspiring GM. So I'm not really sure what this one is going to be about. I did have stuff that I'd intended to talk about, but whether the need or rather the desire to say what I was going to say has come and gone, or I just can't remember what I was going to talk about. But I guess I wanted to just talk about my impressions of the systems, the games I've been playing. Maybe compare and contrast those. So let's start talking and see what comes out. Hold up. Before I start rambling, I just want to play a few messages I've received and respond to those. Hey, Spencer, dude, that was probably the best description of railroading that I've heard so far in all of these descriptions and discussions. I know I certainly never mentioned the part about the apparent choice. And when you mentioned it, that that really clicked home, man. That's that's what's railroading when you think you should be able to do something and the dungeon master just says no for no reason. So, man, excellent job, dude. (laughs) I will talk to you later. Peace out. Joe Richter there from Hindsightless and Wheel or Woe. Uh, thank you very much, Joe. I, it's good to know that I can get something right once in a while. <laughs> but as they say, even a stop clock is right twice a day. Hello, Spencer. This is Carl Rodriguez. I played with you in the Dave Aldridge's Numenera game. Thanks for talking about it. I agree. It was a really fun excursion. I like the player-facing nature of the rule set. Um, very interesting, and I like the discussion we did have after about the sci-fi versus fantasy and how this game kind of combines that, and some people really like it, and some people like players, in my experience, have not. Um, I definitely will be coming back to listening to your podcast since I like your homage to some good rock and roll songs, uh, Queen and Ted Nugent. Take care, Spencer. Bye. 
That was Carl Rodriguez there. And as he said, yeah, he played it in the session of Numenera, where we've had two sessions now. And uh, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be able to play with Carl. And I'm really liking the system. I was interested to hear that Che Webster was toying with the idea of running the system because I feel it really addresses one of the things he was talking about in a recent episode of Roleplay Rescue. Actually, I think it was the Dungeon Master's Diary, where he was just kind of lamenting players not knowing their stuff. And in Numenera, if the players don't know their stuff, then they're not going to get very far. And uh, the onus is very much on them to know what their characters are capable of. It's also a game that goes to some lengths to make the game as easy for the GM as possible, as far as I understand it. Yeah, and I've really enjoyed playing in that game. I've only had a couple of sessions, but um, it is proving to be a lot of fun. And as for the setting, I don't see fantasy as precluding technology in any way. I mean, it does surprise me how some people choose to limit their fantasy in that way, surely. The idea is that anything's possible. I guess there there is a strangeness to it. I do think I need to read up a little more on the setting, perhaps, to uh, understand the not just the fact that you've got these strange ciphers littered about the place, but the fact that the characters possess the oddities that they do. And when I say oddities, I mean um, strange abilities. But like I say, I'd have to look into the setting a bit more to understand the origins of that stuff, if it is indeed explained at all. Great to hear from you, Carl. Always good to hear from a new caller. Spencer, it's Evil Jeff. Appreciate your experience with Numenera. Hadn't played the game before, don't really know a huge amount about it, but that was enough of a description to make me say that if a game came up, I wouldn't be opposed to jumping into it uh, with character creation being quite that involved. Um, definitely sound like I need a little bit of a guiding hand in there, but you can definitely see some customization that can really go on there. Um, so it'd probably have to be a world that I'd want to play in for me to jump into it. But yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for that good review there. See you later. Hey, Evil Jeff. Evil Jeff from Minions and Musings there. Yeah, I wanted to say a little bit more about the, um, well, the character creation primarily. In a lot of ways, character creation couldn't be simpler, certainly coming up with a character concept. The whole idea of an adjective noun who verbs, you know, so I had a swift jack who explores dark places, essentially a nimble thief type character. But the level of customization, the combination of things, and the fact that as well as having a seemingly inexhaustible variety of things in the book that you can apply to your character, it appears to encourage you making stuff up as well, giving characters skills and abilities that aren't there in the book. And the setting itself, 
Yeah, um, it's called the Ninth World. I believe it's Earth, millions of years into the future. Civilizations have risen and fallen. The player characters seem to be from relatively primitive backgrounds, but there's all this strange and bizarre technology littered around the place. These weird artifacts that are kind of beyond the understanding of the people inhabiting that world just makes for a very interesting, quite unique setting. Well, thanks for your call, Evil Jeff. And um, I might say a little bit more about that when I go into comparing the systems I've been playing recently. I was playing Dark Sun on Friday night. At least I was meant to be. Got about half hour into the session and suddenly all the electrics went off. I got up to see what was going on. Realised there was water dripping from the light fitting. Basically my desk is set up in a flat roofed extension on the back of the house. And we have had problems with water getting in in the past. So that was all very exciting and I had to hunt around for towels and buckets which meant I was out of the game for quite some time. I don't know, possibly, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour. It's difficult to gauge time passing when you're in a panic. But I had to relocate and was able to jump back into the game. Fortunately, I hadn't really missed a lot. Half the party had decided to enter this oasis area, which was under control of some elves who essentially fleeced the characters who'd gone in there. Fortunately, I was left waiting outside with a couple of characters who'd opted not to go in. So I was able to rejoin the game just at the tail end of that. Still managed to have a fun and pretty eventful session. So that was good. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Numenera in relation to Into the Odd or Electric Bastion Land because I do see a lot of similarities in what those games are doing. Certainly with regard to the way magic is pretty much replaced by bizarre technology. This idea of uh, one use or limited use items that are referred to as ciphers in Numenera and lend their name to the cipher system, which is the universal system based on Numenera, based on the Numenera system, I should say. And Numenera itself uses these, well, Dave uses the cards that are produced for the system where you've got quite a loose description of what the item does on one card and an image depicting the item on another. And the combination of those two things suggests how it might be used. For example, one of the party used a device that creates an area of silence. I think it was like a 60-foot diameter. And the, the image of the device 
was something that looked very much like a grenade. So that kind of suggested how it would be used. The most recent session, one of the characters had a device that would dazzle whoever it was directed at. And the image on the card looked very much like a gun. So it was quite clear that it was something that could be directed at the enemy in a sort of targeted manner. But me being me, I'm looking at the the rules and the book and the, the level of depth, certainly in the character creation and how all these things interact. And, well, I can't help thinking to myself, how could this be simplified? One obvious way to simplify it would be to use a system like electric bastion land or into the odd and in fact there is an into the odd hack i believe it's called into the ninth world actually and what's also comparable about these systems is that i feel they both have a kind of a similar approach to making things as simple as possible for the gm but they do it in very different ways numenera does it by giving the crunch to the players whereas Electric Bastion Land does it by removing any kind of crunch and rather than relying on the players to know their stuff, basically the rules are so simple that you don't even have to explain them, to be honest. Players can pick up how things work after just a couple of rounds of combat, perhaps, or maybe not even that. You want to do something that involves a certain amount of risk? Roll under your stats, equal to or under. You want to attack something, roll damage. That's all the players really need to know. And I have to say, I'm very drawn to that approach of just keeping things as simple as possible. Just seems to free things up for people to just get involved. And the character creation couldn't be more different between those two games. With Numenera, I spent over an hour with Dave talking me through the character creation process. Whereas you can roll up a character for Into the Odd in three minutes or less without having to know the rules. And that ease of character creation also kind of frees players up to be a bit more risky, perhaps. The quirkiness of the characters is what attaches you to them. So hopefully you're not going to be completely suicidal but I think it does encourage you to take certain risks maybe not so much in combat I think it does encourage you to try and come up with alternatives to try and be a bit more creative whenever you encounter something that poses a threat like that also what I like so much about Electric Bastion Land you know I've spoken about the setting and the fact that I really like the setting but it is extremely hackable and in a lot of ways the stuff that's there in the book are really examples of what you can do with the game i think chris mcdowell's thinking behind putting this book together not just the fact that he wanted to produce a nice kind of almost like a coffee table book full of really interesting art but the fact that you could pick it up and play it if you, if you don't use the ideas in there as is, they are very 
useful as a leaping off point. I know Dave Aldridge of Deeper Centile has said that he doesn't really like the setting and he basically put together his own kind of a sci-fi western flavour setting, which I really enjoyed playing in last week. And uh, yeah, that really was a lot of fun. And while, you know, he came up with his own bunch of character backgrounds and personally... I didn't feel the the world he came up with was a million miles away from some of the stuff that's in Electric Bastion Land. But I do get his point that I think when you get a a system like that, that's so easily hackable, you want to start making stuff up for it yourself. And I can see why he would then view a large portion of the book, namely the hundred plus failed careers, as as being wasted on him, I guess. It's probably the best way to put it. So, yeah. So, ICRPG, the index card role-playing game. I've been playing in the... Um, altered state setting uh, that's been run by Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. He did have a session planned for last week. Unfortunately, he's had a lot of stuff going on, a bit of a family crisis, so he was unable to run the game in the planned slot. In place of that game, Pete Jones of Dragons Are Real stepped in and offered to run his Flash Golden hack, Golden's Alive, as a one-shot. And um, that went really well. I was really looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. But I have found that ICRPG as a system does give rise to a very different feeling game, for me, at least. Now, ICRPG is an interesting one because a few of the anchorites have really embraced it and um, can't get enough of it and really seem to be having a lot of fun with it. But there are a few people who don't feel that it is a complete game. Looking at it myself, my own opinion of it, my own uneducated opinion of it, is that it's full of a lot of interesting ideas, very much focused on keeping up momentum. And I feel that it does address issues that in my brief time playing, I don't feel I've experienced as issues, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Possibly because it started life as a hack of D&D 5th edition, which is something I haven't played. If I knew anything about skirmish games, I'd suggest that there was something quite skirmishy about it. I do like that countdown mechanism, creating that sense of urgency maintaining a momentum essentially you're rolling a d4 and in that many rounds something happens to change the scene and while that does keep things moving i do feel it does break down the sense of flow almost like waves in a computer game you know if you can achieve this objective before the counter reaches zero then great 
we can move on to the next scene. And it does feel a bit that the game is broken down into scenes as well. And I'm aware that many games do that. And that's fine. It leads to a very different feel compared to what I've experienced with the Black Hack continual light into the odd electric bastion land. They've very much been played as theatre of the mind. Whereas my experience with ICRPG has been through Roll20, with the latest session being done using the Runehammer platform, which in some ways is a stripped-down version of Roll20, certainly at this stage. I know it's only a beta version. While that does allow GMs to put up helpful imagery, and I've got to say the, the images that Pete chose for the Flash Golden game were very evocative, really great images, really, really helpful. So I don't know whether this kind of um, set-piece feeling comes from the use of software like Roll20, or whether it comes from the ICRPG rules themselves. In many ways, it is a stripped-down version of a miniatures rule set, I guess. You know, and bear in mind that I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But that's what you're going to get if you insist on listening to me blather on. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, folks. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off the Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.